Good afternoon and good morning, and welcome to another episode of Before Coffee. It's Monday, second week of May. The sun is shining, summer and spring are here, and let's get started with the show. Yeah, I'm here. Okay, how's my sound? You sound like you're in a room. (laughs) No, not that. I'm not covering idiots doing stupid shit. Sorry, you don't make my news just for doing something stupid. Go do something stupid and somebody else will fucking uh, sensationalist story show. Yeah. Great news of horse racing deaths. So, okay, ready for the headlines? Day on before coffee. Let's talk about Asia. And the weather. Vietnam and Laos set records for highest ever temperatures. Not looking good for the rest of the world. And uh, horse racing news. Kentucky Derby kills seven horses. Horses? Yes. Oh no. I I know. It's horrible. Eurovision. Brands embrace Eurovision and the spending power of its 180 million viewers. A clothing designer was at the checkout line of Joanne Fabry's store when he learned his ex-girlfriend. Yeah, hey. It's <laughs> an interesting story. And in Ukrainian war news, Russia evacuates more than 1,600 from Zaporizhia nuclear plant town. And spoiler alert, science indicates spoilers don't spoil them. That and more. Let's see what we got there. May 8th edition of May 8th, 2020. Love. <laughs> All right, let's go into my first news story here. About the weather. Just, you know, just an update on how the weather's going and how it's, uh, you know, what the the trends could predict in the future. Records for countries broken just weeks after temperature in Thailand rose about 45 Celsius for the first time. People who use Fahrenheit can do the math at home because I'm not going to do it for you. (laughs) 45 is definitely higher than 100. That's all I know. If you're 45 Celsius is a person, you have a very high fever. That's all I know. <laughs> you're going to die. I will have that calculation by the end of your start. I'll do it in my head. All-time temperature records were broken in Vietnam and Laos last week. On 6 May, Hoi Huan... Hoi Huan... I don't know how to say that. Sorry. In Vietnam... Reached a scorching 44.1 Celsius, breaking the previous record of the country of 43.4 in 2019. It's it's a very recent record-breaking. On the same day, Laos recorded its highest ever temperature, which reached 43.5 Celsius in Long Prabang. The records were set just a few weeks after temperatures in Thailand rose above 45 Celsius for the first time. That's 113. Sorry? 113. Yeah, 113. 
A breakdown of the heat in the Southeast Asia is expected to occur in the next few days as a tropical disturbance is likely to develop nearby. Forecast models suggest that, over the coming days, the Bay of Bengal will have the perfect conditions for cyclogenous to occur. I'm guessing that means cyclones. They're gonna have cyclones. Like cyclone genius. But later next week, several factors including enhanced vorosity, wait, vorticity, vorticity? Yeah, like the vortex. And very high sea surface temperatures will enhance the chance that a tropical storm will edge northeastwards into parts of Myanmar. I love how I'm using my critical thinking in this <laughs> article to realize what these terms mean. I did not take a weather class. Uh, this brings some strong winds and significant rainfall to the Southeast Asia, including areas that have recently seen their temperature records broken. Spain also had some particularly dry and hot conditions over recent weeks, with the country bringing its April temperature record, which they did predict in April that they were going to break the record again, so that's correct. The heat wave continued for weeks, and an overall temperature anomaly for Spain in April was more than 3 Celsius above the normal for most parts of the country. It's not just the heat that has affected Spain, it also has been very dry away from the north coast. Rainfall barely reached 20% of normal April rainfall for most of the country. So it's 20% of its 100% of usual rainfall, I think it's what it's saying. No, 20% is its normal rate, and it hasn't even reached 20% once during the entirety of April. With some places in central and southern areas even receiving less than 10% of a normal April month. This would be impactful at a standalone month, but since the start of the year, much of Spain has been receiving below normal rainfall each month. May is also already on its, already well on its way to becoming another dry month. With the outlook not expected to bring much relief, any rain throughout the next couple of weeks will probably stay away from the worst affected drought areas. Even though the Northeast has not been the worst affected, Catalonia has exceptionally low reservoir levels, levels which could hit water supplies for cities, including Barcelona, through the summer. Yeah, it's time to like, I don't know, route water from some a new place. Like time to make a new river. I don't know. <laughs> that goes into Spain is, yeah. So, it's dry. Yeah, weather's not looking good. They have to start with saving water now. I've been saying it for months actually here, even here. I was like, everyone's like, oh, the weather's so good. Yeah, we'll start saving water. You're not gonna be able to take a shower soon. <laughs> you have to yeah. bathe in the canal, so. Onto your story. It's being smelly. Uh, oh, I get. The, I think your nose adjusts to, adjusts to the smell after a while of everybody being more pungent than normal. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> We're just gonna have to go back to naturalism. You'll find out in your train rides. Right? Horse, horse. Hard words to say together. Horse deaths, cat, triple crown, ship, greatness. A raging thunderstorm washed over activity Sunday morning at Churchill Downs symbolized the dark clouds hanging over the Triple Crown after a troubling string of horse deaths. Seven horses have died following injuries at the track since April 27th, including Duke Derby entrant Wild on Ice. Freezing Point and Chloe's Dream were euthanized after injuries before Saturday's Kentucky Derby that was ultimately won by Mage. Four sustained catastrophic leg injuries, two succumbed suddenly from causes yet to be determined, and another sustained a neck injury after flipping in the paddock. The spate of in, 
of incidents comes four years after more than 30 horses died at Santa Anita Racetrack in California. Those deaths shook up the industry and resulted in safety reforms such as the Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Act, ISA, which established a similar, similarly lettered organization that set a uniform safety and doping rules for thoroughbreds. A set of regulations are scheduled to take effect on May 22nd. Okay, more regulations. The question for now is how the stunning occurrence of fatal injuries at the Cathedral Forest Racing affects the sport during its height of visibility with the Preakness and Belmont Stakes following over the next month and how horse racing responds. Everyone in the industry wants to make racing as safe as possible, Hall of Fame trainer Todd Pletcher said Sunday. And even in situations like that where right now everyone is doing everything we can to make sure horse racing horses are going out there in the safest possible conditions. We still had two fatal breakdowns yesterday and something, a trainer that keeps you up at night. Churchill Downs said in a statement Saturday night that is working with the Kentucky Horse Racing Commission Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Authority investigated each death. The subsequent statement from the HISA organization said Chloe's dream and freezing point passed all inspections without instance while being observed in the paddock in post parade. An examination of factors including necrops. Ne Necropsies, pre-existing health conditions, training sessions, and inspecting health track services will take several weeks. Racetrack service expert Mac Mick Peterson has worked with Churchill Downs since 2008. Was once retained by HISA and Sunday the service was consistent. The director of University of Kentucky's racetrack safety program added that the evaluation is ongoing to keep the track condition uniform and make needed improvements. We've got to look at every factor on that and get her so that we reduce the risk further and further to protect them, Peterson said. But we need to learn or understanding from the consistency is going to get us the safety we need and we need to keep growing. They talk a lot of big words, but they're not getting down to the actual cause here. Concerns still hovering over the 149th Derby, which went off the, with the field reduced to 18 horses. Only 18 horses? That's not a small field. Oh. I feel reduced to 18 horses. 18 friggin' horses on the track at once? Really? That's not, that's that's not reduced. Yeah, my a reduced field would be seven horses, you know, not 18. Maybe the amount of horses you got going is a problem. I think when you look at any typical horse race during, during the day, like regular horse racing, there ain't 18 horses in it. They're not used to running that stampede, like you said. Okay, in my next story, let's talk about how you can, if you're a brand, you can make a lot of money off of Eurovision. Prosciutto, or not, no. Prosecco, ex-uni Prosecco, among other sponsors, are hoping to douse points in Liverpool from, for example, here we have Bailey's signing a three-year deal with Eurovision. And all the other people, are getting money, are getting paid money to hold stuff in pictures. The wind machines have been tested, dance routines perfected, and wardrobe malfunctions eliminated. At this stage, there is not much you can do about the singing of or the song choice. So as one pageant in Britain ends, another begins. The Eurovision Song Contest semifinals kicking off in Liverpool on Tuesday. Whether you consider a cringe-worthy affair of the World Cup or the World Cup of Music, it is one of the most watched shows on the planet, with 180 million people expected to tune in. 
Viewers may watch expecting to hear some cheesy songs, but these days the sponsors are big cheeses too, including the cream cheese maker Philadelphia. As the business world embraces Eurovision's inclusive messaging and spending nights, spending might of the huge fan base. When tickets for the finals sold out in about half an hour, fans joked that they would live on Philadelphia in an attempt to win the VIP tickets up for grabs on limited edition packs. When you think about it, the marriage of Philadelphia and Europe's cheesiest song contest is the stuff of Don Draper. This year, the Christmas favorite Bailey's also wanted... I didn't know Bailey's was a Christmas favorite, but I guess, yeah. The Christmas favorite ba- Bailey's also wants to be on your radar if you're planning a Eurosoray. Story. The brand has inked a three-year deal with Eurovision and listed the 2014 winner, Conchita Wurst, as a brand ambassador. Paul Carton's Bailey's Global Marketing Director says it wanted to be part of the world's most joyful global celebration of inclusive and diverse cultures and communities. Hear that now, Bailey's is pro-alphabet mafia, so stop being homophobic if you drink Bailey's, because you got no right to be homophobic. (laughs) Even without Bailey's, but especially if you drink Bailey's. (laughs) <laughs> World's most joyful celebration. The, te- the deal means the Austrian drag queen can be found shaking Bailey cocktails on its social media channels. While these tie-ups appear as a frivolous as last year's Norwegian entry, Subwoofers give that wolf a banana, more well-known brands want to be part of the spectacle and have more opportunity to do so. While going out on the BBC means no points for advertisers in the UK, the contest now airs on Eurovision's own YouTube channel. It is also live-streamed on TikTok. With a week to go, Eurovision 2023 has already garnered more than 1 billion video views on the app. Dr. Paul Jordan, expert on the contest, is known as Dr. Eurovision. The sponsorships has been part of Eurovision for a long time, but with its presence sometimes causing headaches for the BBC. It, is, it used to be difficult to attract large mainstream sponsors, but now this doesn't appear to be such a challenge, said Jordan, who suggested that this was down to a renewed appreciation of the contest. It also embodies the values of the people, particularly the younger generation. Social media is a par- big part of attractiveness for brands, he added. Songs have gone on to become viral hits thanks to TikTok. Armenia's entry last year became 20th on the night, yet went on to become a huge hit online. Probably the most successful ever in terms of streams and downloads. Competition is organized by European Broadcasting Union, EBU, which is an alliance of public service, service broadcasters. It is a co-production between the host broadcaster and other participants' outlets who pay a fee to take part. Sponsorship revenue helps offset the cost of the event. This year's partners include beauty brand Morocco, Mor- Moroccan Oil. I don't know why the, that's one word. It should be two words so I can read it. Moroccan Oil. The travel... I thought it said Moroccan. Canoli. And I was like, no, that's not it. It's Moroccan Oil. Canoli. <laughs> Rock and Oil, the travel site Booking.com, TikTok, Bailey's, Mondelez, the U.S. food group behind Philadelphia. BBC's national sponsors include EasyJet and Google. The EBU spokesperson said that contests huge global reach and values of inclusiveness, diversity, and universality made the event popular with brands. Liverpool is hoping that staging Eurovision will bring 40 million pounds for the city with songs inter. First, with awkward travel tips, EasyJet's pitch that it offers more seats between the UK and Eurovision countries than any other airline. Also makes sense. 
Finally, don't forget Invivio X Unity if you're suddenly down to watch. No, it's not the Italian entry. It's the official Prosecco of Eurovision Song Contest with a bottle design that aims to inspire more unity around the world. With exclusive 12-pound fizz can only be found at Ocado. Yes, there is a rosé version too. You heard that right. Go buy alcohol, according to this... Um... <laughs> This sponsored Eurovision segment on The Guardian by Zoe Wood. Alright, I'll take your story. Booze will help you forget your problems. That's a good advertising slogan. I, I can advertise it. <laughs> Got problems? Get drunk. Man, I, the, the, the slogans just flow out of me. Okay, another story. This hopefully a short story, I think it is. Alright, FBI tweeted a photo of a woman in a pink beret allegedly rioting at the Capitol on April 27th. Now, there was no riot on April 27th. That's when they broadcast the photo, the poorly written headline. That weekend, the woman's former partner contacted the FBI and the NBC reported. He said the woman was interested in far-right politics and read Hitler's Mein Kampf. <laughs> so here's your oh, latest Insurrection idiot news. A Los Angeles-based clothing designer was waiting at the checkout line at a Joanne Fabric and Craft stores when he learned that his ex-girlfriend wanted to be was owned by the FBI for allegedly rioting at the Capitol on January 6, 2021. The designer, who asked the news outlet not to be named for fear of harassment, said his friend showed him a picture of a viral tweet from the FBI while he was about to make a purchase last weekend. The April 27th tweet showed a close-up photograph of a short-haired woman in a distinct pink beret. The woman allegedly participated in U.S. Capitol riots, the FBI wrote, asking people to call the agency's tip line to visit the website. I stopped that on my tracks, the designer told NBC News. I'm like, that's Jenny. On the weekend, the designer tip on Monday, the bureau contacted the designer and first she, she was the woman they were investigating. The FBI confirmed on Friday to NBC News that the woman in the pink beret was Jennifer Inzuza Vargas of Los Angeles. Since September 6, 2021, the U.S. government has been in a wide-scale effort to prosecute those who have participated in the riot. At least 1,003 people have been charged in connection with the insurrection. That effort from federal investigators has included scanning endless hours of surveillance footage and searching through hotel and phone records and social media posts, but some accused participants were caught under more unusual circumstances. In a similar case, an ex turned in her former partner, Richard Michetti, after he called her a moron for not supporting uh -oh. Donald Trump. Oh, call me a moron too, because I'm not supporting Donald Trump unless it's for prison. According to, the, and according to NBC News, after the designer saw a call for help from FBI, he wrote in a now-deleted Twitter post, I used to date this girl in 2019, lol. He also attached a photo of Vargas. <laughs> the man told NBC News that he met Vargas online late 2018. Months later, Vargas began, began to reveal her more far-right politics and her interest in Hitler's Mein Kampf, the designer, designer told the outlet. It was 
I was just instantly turned off like, yo, I don't think it's going to work out, he told NBC News. You're like reading Mein Kampf. You think immigrants don't deserve X, Y, Z. The designer told the outlet his heart hurts for virus, but also found humor in the situation. It's just going to be one of those things for me, he told the NBC News. I dated this girl who was on the FBI's most wanted list. A spokesperson for Joins Fabric and Crafts did not respond for comments submitted outside the work yard. What do people Joins and Crafts have to say about this? It's just incidental to the story. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, your story. (laughs) That's random, random information, I guess. All right. My next story is some more updates on the Ukrainian-Russian war. Russia is evacuating more than 16,000 from Zaporozhia nuclear plant town. Hundreds of children among evacuees as Ukraine expected to start long-anticipated counteroffensive. Finally! This is very indeed long-expected. The head of the UN's nuclear power watchdog warned on Saturday that the situation around the plant had become potentially dangerous. Ukraine is said soon to expect it to start its much-anticipated counteroffensive to retake Russian-held territory, including the re- the Zapo Zapro Zapo Riz Zia region. <laughs> That's how I'm going to say that. Zapo Rizia. The evacuees have already been placed in the temporary accommodation center for residents of the frontline territories of the Zapo Riz Zia region in Berdyansk. Ivingi Balitsky, the Russian-installed governor of the Russian-controlled part of the region, said. Berdyansk is a southeastern Ukrainian port city on the coast of the Sea of Azov, which has been occupied by Russia since the early days of Moscow's invasion. In its morning update on Sunday, Ukraine's general staff said Russian forces were evacuating local Russian passport holders. First to be evacuated are those who accepted Russian citizenship in the first months of the occupation, it is said in the statement. Reuters was not able to independently verify the reports. Rafael Grossi, Director General of the International Atomic Energy Agency, called for measures to ensure the safe operation of Europe's large nu- largest nuclear plant as evacuations continued. The general situated in the area near the Zaporizhia nuclear facility plant is becoming increasingly unpredictable and potentially dangerous, Grossi said on an agency website. I am extremely concerned about the very real nuclear safety and security risk facing the plant. We must act now to prevent the threat of a severe nuclear accident and its associated consequences for the population and the environment. Grossi said that while the operating staff at the plant remained at the site, the conditions for personnel and their families were increasingly tense. Both sides have accused one another of shelling the plant and efforts to secure a safety zone around it has failed. Russian forces seized the Zaporizhia plant days after the Russian President Vladimir Putin ordered the invasions of Ukraine in February 2022. Exchanges of fire have frequently occurred near the facility, with each side blaming the other. Grossi last visited the Zaporizhia station in March, a part of an effort to speak to both sides of the secure and secure an agreement on safeguards to ensure the plant's safe operation. He has repeatedly warned of dangers of military operations around the plant. The plant is located in part of the region under Russian control, with many of the staff operating and living in Enorhodar on the south bank of the Dnieper River. So hopefully, we do not see a very dangerous nuclear explosion happening in this long-anticipated 
counteroffensive that is definitely like, happening at some point. We can have Chernobyl too. Well, Chernobyl is a bit different, but yeah. That's what the sequels are never better than original. <laughs> uh, almost, almost. Godfather Two is the exception. Uh, okay, and uh, in spoiler news, spoilers. This is from uh, New York Times editorial. Dr. Anna Lisa Cohen, a professor of psychology at Yeshiva University, and it's it says uh, it's, spoilers don't spoiler anything according to science. In this divisive area, when there are so few things we still agree on, one point basic civility stands unchallenged. You don't mention the ending of the television show and we the person talking to hasn't seen it yet. It's just basic human decency. Premature plot points, revelations are far, so far out of bounds that their name alone stands as a warning. Spoilers. On that note, and before we go any further, spoilers ahead. In the past few weeks, as dramatic revolution, revelation, and succession, reignited the debate over how long spoilers should be secession as a TV show, for those who don't know, and whether having advanced knowledge of a momentous plot developed in this case, I'm not going to tell you the spoiler, ruins your enjoyment of the story, they're in the parentheses, it's giving me spoilers, ruins the enjoyment. Recently, my colleagues and I have conducted research to address the very subject. Spoiler alert, it isn't. In a study published in Applied Cognitive Psychology, my co-authors and I had people watch a suspended 30-minute TV episode directed by Albert Hitchcock titled Bang Your Dead. Our purpose was to determine the extent to which knowing the outcome of a dramatic scenario would affect the viewer's ability to be drawn in by it. We showed our participants this short episode in which a young boy finds a loaded gun and makes it for a toy. Sticks it for a toy. The boy grabs it and walks around a small town pointing at it, shooting at people, yelling, bang, you're dead, oblivious to the fact that there is a bullet in the chamber. We told participants, a sample of undergraduate students, to raise their hand every time any character said the word gun. In the control group, participants knew nothing about the story would end. As the suspense mounted midway through the show, they were so immersed in events on screen they forgot about their assignment. In a different group, we told participants how the program would end. We predicted that knowing the ending would lower their engagement and allow them to better remember to the word gun. We were wrong. At the same set point in the show, at the same exact point in the show, participants neglected their assignment in a similar manner in those that were in the control group. In other words, they were just as immersed, even though they knew the outcome. In the follow, and they were just as immersed, even though they knew the outcome. In follow-up questionnaires, they also report the same levels of engagement and enjoyment as those who didn't know the end. The truth is, we are just as likely to get caught in a story even when we know what is coming. Perhaps because more significant factors determine our enjoyment are narratives rather than simply wanting to learn, I guess, the resolution. Humans are hardwired not to just absorb facts and also lose themselves in stories and attune themselves to the characters and plots unfolding on the screen. Consider the 2019 movie Parasite. Everyone watch it knows it's fictional, but we nonetheless feel our pulse start to raise as a man hiding in the basement suddenly emerges a knife. And in an effort to self-soothe, we might try to remind ourselves that it's only a movie, but it's no use. We are terrified. In 1993, the psychological psychology professor Richard Gehrig posted, posted 
put a name to his common experience of being completely pulled away from the present and immersed in the alternate world of the fictional story. He called it narrative transportation because it feels as if we've been transported in an alternative world. One of the defining characteristics of narrative transportation is that we become so immersed that our attitudes and attentions change to reflect those in the story. This explains why we cry when our beloved protagonist dies or scream in terror as an axe-wielding psychopath closes in on its victim. As it turns out, our sense of narrative transportation has very little to do with whether, or no, whether we know how good the story is, is going to end. And there's a lot more to this story, I didn't realize. Okay. Um, we feel like the empathy and identity of the characters. We become mentally attuned to the goals and intentions of characters. Therefore, if a protagonist has a goal to find his or her child to prevent a death, as happens in the case of the Hitchcock story, it becomes our goal too. So if watching a Hitchcock story makes us feel that we're living in the story, then knowing the ending doesn't affect us because the characters in the story don't know the ending and for that moment we have hitched our mental state to theirs. So don't worry if someone spoiled your latest episode of suggestion for you. The research suggests that you will still enjoy it even if you decide to watch it a second time. Yeah, I can, yes. conf I can confirm that because I love being spoiled because then I don't have to sit there going... Like, oh, racking no, my brain, I don't enjoy suspense that much, okay? I'll be, I'll just be honest here. So I end up actually Googling the ending anyway. If somebody doesn't spoil it for me, I just look it up anyways. Does this character die? Oh, they do? Okay, so I know that when, as that I follow this character, I know they die, so I can enjoy their character while they're alive, because at some point they're gonna die. Or, you know, is, you know, does this entire town explode? I need to know, I just need to know these things, so I can totally, re I'm totally, in this study, I'm definitely one of the people whose enjoyment is even increased, because I know what's gonna happen. Right on. Well, and again, uh, the study probably didn't weed out sociopaths and don't give a crap about the people in the story no matter what happens. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right. In culture news, let's go and talk about the debate about Black Cleopatra. To be well, honest, we don't know much about her appearance. She's there's Greek. A, <laughs> yeah. There's a fuss in Egypt about a new Netflix docudrama that's been shown to be from the next... Well, that will be shown from next week. Queen Cleopatra. The British protagonist Adele James is a black woman and that, according to the critics, is not in accordance with historical reality. But Dutch historians and art connoisseurs call it historically justifiable to play with the color of Cleopatra. Egyptian lawyer Mahmoud Al-Samadi accuses Netflix of wanting to erase Egyptian identity. He has sued the streaming service in the hope that the series will not be broadcast. Oh, good luck with that. <laughs> what are you, American? Oh, let me. If I sue them, that will stop them. They've already made the. They've already made the show. They will be publishing it to make money back. Trust me. <laughs> and you're giving them free publicity. <laughs> exactly, idiot. Former Minister of Antiquities Yazahi Hawass thinks the dark complexion is totally flake. Fake. Cleopatra was Greek. Not black. Cleopatra goes asked a Macedonian, actually, but don't tell the Greeks that. A petition appeared oh. online to prevent the broadcast of the series. According to the initiators, the petition was taken offline by the petition site in question after two days without consultation, and the time had been signed by more, more than 600,000 times. Who was Cleopatra? 
Cleopatra was born in 69 BC in the Egyptian city of Alexandria. In 51, she was succeeded by she succeeded her father, Ptolemy XI, a Greco Macedonian. Oh, sorry, not Mac Yeah, Macedonian. That's what I'm saying. Macedonian, a Greco Macedonian king of Egypt who was descended from general in the army of Alexander the Great. Also, we don't know what Greeks or Macedonians looked like in freaking 69 BC because nobody was taking pictures. All it's we have all is statues. There's no paintings from that time either because I don't even know if they were painting. They, may, they were painting on the walls, right? That's that's the best you have. Just keep drawing. And if you if you remember how like we, like as children, drew stuff, right? You would put. Yeah. Oh, I can't find the right skin tone. Like you weren't sitting there trying to find the perfect combinations of color to make the right skin tone. You were just like, we're just gonna put a color in there. Because we need to indicate, or sometimes they don't even put a color, you can just outline, right? And you don't have to paint the face. I'm just saying, like, this is, who cares? Um, Pharaoh Cleopatra spoke many languages besides her native Greek and said to have been the first to her dynasty to speak Egyptian. She had relations with Roman rulers Julius Caesar, Mark Anthony, and she had children with both men. Cleopatra reigned until her death in 30 BC. Then Egypt became part of the Roman Empire. I don't lose any sleep over it. Although I personally would have made a different choice, said Daniel Solomon. He's an Egyptologist and curator at the National Museum of Antiquities in Leiden. Solomon understands the background of commotion. Much of the fuss comes from Egypt and Egyptian diaspora. Antiquity is important for their identity and pride. I had chosen an actress with an Egyptian background that can be also be someone with dark skin color. Yes, indeed, as I've gone over before, skin color is just a chemical reaction has nothing to do with who you are. There's a lot of clarity about Cleopatra's origin. Her father was Greek Macedonian, but not much is known about her mother. I don't know if I've ever seen anybody who sits out in the sun, but they get really tan. So maybe she was tan from that. We don't know exactly who her mother is, says Dallas Slochius, professor of ancient history at the University of Amsterdam. Cleopatra was played by a white actress several times in Hollywood productions. For example, Claudette Colbert, Monica Belushi and Elizabeth Taylor played the role for the Queen, which caused less controversy. Taylor, there was counter voices from Egypt because she was Jewish. <laughs> uh, a Jewish person? What religion you? The religion you follow is does not match with you, the actor who is supposed to pretend to be somebody. Ah! You go assign a series of beliefs to your dead corpse. <clears throat> go ahead. Dina Shavari. Tina Khavari, the director of the new Netflix series, described in Variety magazine what Taylor's role evoked in her. I was enthralled, but felt the image wasn't right. Was her skin really that white? People have gone, gotten it incredibly wrong before. The director therefore chose a black queen together with producer Jada Pinkett Smith. Whether we call Cleopatra's Greco-Macedonian father a white man is debatable. According to Solomon, you know his ethnicity, which is just your cultural background, by the way. That's all it means. Yeah. Ethnicity is just, hey, he was raised to be a Greek guy. That's all that means. That's a color white right there. That's what white looks like. Nobody Wait, is I that did, color. I need to show that. That again? Right. Here's the color white. Here's what it looks like. White. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's that color unless they're dead. Go ahead. Exactly. Uh, we know it's ethnicity, but not physical features, he says, and that's the real problem here. Uh, that black lady has black features. We can't put her on screen. People will be shocked. I don't know. Um, 
<laughs> we are used to seeing antiquity as the heritage of white people, says Rosemary Ukema, professor of art, culture, and diversity in the Utrecht University. Just like Christianity, where it's not all certain which color Jesus had, playing with the color of Cleopatra is therefore well defensible from a historical point of view. Ukema understands the political choice for black Cleopatra. Black children can also be descendants of king and queens, not just descendants of enslaved people. It matters that they can also dream. I'm a little prince or a little princess. It's extremely important to be part of a dominant history. Loaches says the ancient world is one of three continents, Africa, Asia, and Europe. Not true. As somebody who studied European history, Europe did not exist in the ancient world. Legitimately, they were like, that place over there. It didn't have, they didn't have a word for Europe until late into like the Roman Empire when they started conquering it. Not in the ancient world, Europe was negligible to history. It didn't do anything. <laughs> they were like a bunch of barbarians live up there. Stay away. The Gauls are gonna get you. Eat your children. That's all <laughs> Europe was. It was not doing anything. It was only right. Africa and Asia because Greece is part of Asia. They were Asians as far as they were concerned. They were not Europeans. Yeah. yeah. But Cleopatra portrayed in different ways in ancient times, says Egyptolus Solomon. On the other hand, in typical Egyptian way, a slender woman with long black wig and Egyptian clothing. On the other hand, she's depicted very Greek. In old, on old coins, she has broad braids, a large nose, and chin. And in Shakespearean play, Anthony and Cleopatra, the queen was also dark-skinned. If, according to sources, there are different images of Cleopatra, a black queen is historically okay and certainly politically okay. Says Bukema, the resistance to this really one, this really only exposes the problematic one-sidedness of representation in our history. Yes, God forbid somebody has melanin in their skin. Everyone freaks out, has a mental breakdown. They can't handle it. I don't. What? Get, what? I don't get it. She's okay. darker than ever in the history. What? I'm how am I supposed to relate to? How am I supposed to relate to her? She, her skin color is different. She can le stay outside for longer. I don't know <laughs> what that affects. Anyways, on to this day in history. Enough about me getting color angry about colors. This, this is going to take extremely long. I didn't realize what I bit off here. Okay, 1429, largely due to the efforts of English troops, ended the siege of the French city of Orleans. On this day in 1429. It uh, was a military turning point in the Hundred Years' War. In 1737, English historian Edward Gibbon, who is best known for the book The History of the Decline of the Fall of the Roman Empire, was born in Putney, Surrey. 1846, U.S. troops under Zachary Taylor defeated a Mexican force under General Mar Mariano Arista in the Battle of Palo Alto in the first clash of the Mexican War, Mexican-American War. 1865, during the American Civil War, Union forces under Ulysses X. Grant engaged the Confederate troops at Robert E. Lee at Spotsylvania Courthouse, Virginia. In 1877, the first Westminster Kennel Club dog show began. In 1884, U.S. President Harry Truman was born in Lamar, Missouri on this date in 1884. American pharmacist John S. Pemberton developed Coca-Cola on this day in 1886. So Coca-Cola, happy birthday. 1902, Mount Pele in Martinique erupted this 1902, Martinique in the port of St. Pierre and killing approximately 30,000 people, 15% of the island's population. Wow. 
1942, the Battle of Coral Sea, the U.S. Lex SS Lexington became the first US, U.S. aircraft carrier to be sunk during World War II. 1950, police in Silkeberg, Denmark, were alerted to the discovery of a corpse by the bog as revealed to be the remarkable, remarkably preserved bog body that was given the name Talund Man in 1950. It doesn't say how old he was, though. But he was well preserved, I guess. Doesn't say how old Mr. Uh, Talun the man was. In 1970, a month after Paul McCartney announced that he has left the Beatles, a British rock group released Let It Be, their last original studio album they hit the record shops. We should do a history in rock music. That's what we should do. In 1980, the World Health uh, Organization officially declared that smallpox was eradicated. For centuries, the acute infectious disease was one of the world's most dreaded plagues. Let's get them vaccinations, folks. 1999, Nancy Mays became the first woman to graduate from the Citadel, a military college in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, okay, also a big event in this day today, featured event, World War II in Europe ended. Following hey. Germany's unconditional surrender, World War II in Europe officially ended at midnight on this day in 1945, although the war in the Pacific continued until the Japanese surrender in September. So this is what's known as VE Day, 1945. Nin uh, birthdays today, Bill de Blasio, former mayor of New York, was born in 1961. Rick Nelson, son of Ozzie and Harriet, an American musician and actor, was born in 1940. David Attenborough, English broadcaster, writer, and nationalist, who still is, is still narrating stuff, uh, was born in this day in 1926. He's 97. Also born in this day in 26 was comedian Don Rickles, who was made a li li living insulting people. And now for what day is it today? Oh my goodness! Let's get let's get started on that. <laughs> what day is it today? Oh, there's a list. <clears throat> It's Trisha Peta's birthday. I'm not sure that is uh, a YouTuber. She's a, in social media, YouTuber, birthday. influencer. These, these are birthdays. Okay. May 8th is World Red Cross and Red Crescent Day. It's also World Ovarian Cancer Day. Also World Donkey Day. So I don't want to get ovarian donkey. cancer. World Lotus Day. It's Victory in Europe Day. We just covered that. It's Truman Day because this is his birthday. May 8th is Time of Remembrance and Reconciliation for those who lost their lives in World War II. Yeah, so Truman's birthday is also the end of World War II in Europe. May 8th is also No Socks Day. Probably started during the war too, huh? Yeah. Can't afford socks. Nobody's making them anymore. National Women's Checkup Day. So get your stuff checked, women. National Women's Checkup. Wait. They, they put this twice. Wait, are we, it's National Redundancy Day. No. Ner National Student Nurse Day. National Report Government Contractor Fraud Day. Oh, shit. I'm not going to work today. <laughs> no, just kidding. I have never committed fraud. Knowingly. Never, <laughs> National <Knowing>. Report <laughs> Government Fraud. National Nova Day. Nova is a unique name that deserves to be celebrated on National Nova Day. So if your name is Nova, I've never met you. 
Is, is it not just like a Nova? National like a Meeting Planners and Appreciation Day. National Maria Day. If your name is not, if your name is Mary, can you celebrate? It's National Maria Day. Why, do, why are names Ma- having, why are names having national holidays? What's going on here? It's the 18th most popular name in America is Maria. It's just a form of Mary, too. And I want to talk to Maria in a little while. Mary Jane. <laughs> Get it? Get it? Get it? Anyway. Uh, someone, National gives someone a cupcake day. National Dakota Day. Dakota just wants to be nor, uh, noticed. National Coconut Cream Pie Day. National Animal Disaster Preparedness Day. Animal oh, Disaster. Oh, I have to make a coconut cream pie, huh? Yeah, don't feed your pet a coconut cream pie. That will avoid a national animal disaster of... <laughs> of Mostly diarrhea, I think. Diarrhea proportions. National Amyloidosis Day. Join hands and hearts in solidarity with passions of family. Families affected by amyloidos, amyloidosis. And uh, I don't know what that is, but re- we recognize they suffer, as everyone else does. Jamestown Day, May 8th, is Jamestown Day. May 8th is also Iris Day, the uh, really pur- purplish lavender flowers that bloom wildflowers. Uh, Free Trade Day, May 8th, and Reward Yourself Day, and National Have a Coke Day because it was the day that Coke was invented. So have oh, a Coke, so two and Harry Truman. That's the day. All right, well, that's wow. been Allison here from Europe talking about Eurovision. Uh, don't forget to watch, I guess, tomorrow and buy some Seco and, what is it, eat Philadelphia cheese? You know, we're not sponsored, but they are. And, uh, yes, if you enjoy the show... Give the yep. sponsor some love so the show can continue going. And we'll see, <laughs> we'll see you tomorrow for, I guess, some news on the finales. Because if the finales are tomorrow, I'm sure that will be in the news. You know, Mexico oh, yeah. wins or whatever. I know, I know Mexico can't win. They're not in Europe. But it would be funny if they did. I'll see you tomorrow. This is Roger in the United States. Biting off more than you can chew to read. Again, on this day, the Monday, May 8th edition of Before Coffee. Be sure to hit the like, subscribe, and notify buttons and follow our other channels Toxic Alley, History of Gravy, and Scratchy Old Records.